Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. All right, we are back at it. Today, we've got another episode of Squared Away. This will be our July edition. We'll sit down, take a look back at the second quarter, really the first six months of the year, which aren't pretty. We fully admit that off the top, but we're going to take a step back, eliminate the noise, look at a couple you know, important things that we think investors should consider. But then again, just really reaffirm our belief in long-term investing, a long-term approach, discipline, all those things you guys have uh, become really used to us talking about, harping about, preaching about, whatever you want to call it. So I've asked both Zach Reynolds and David Stanley to join me today. Uh, Zach to give us really his opinion from the investment team side of thing. And then David with his history and his wisdom, I've asked him to, to sit in as well and help us just put some framework around what we're going through and why this feels different, why it shouldn't feel different. I know you'll enjoy our conversation. As always, please let me know if there's anything we can do or if you guys have questions that we aren't answering, man, that'd be awesome. If, if there's anything that we can hit on, uh, we'd be happy to do so. Let us know. Anyway, here's my conversation with David and Zach for today's Squared Away. Enjoy. David, Zach, thanks for joining me today. I don't know what we're going to talk about. There's nothing going on <laughs> in the market. So, no, it's it's been some time since we've done a Squared Away. We've been rolling out some of these new series, and I thought it would be a really good time since we've completed the first two quarters of the year. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of noise, which our our goal is always to take a step back, kind of remove the noise, uh, but to give our opinion. So you guys tell me where you want to start. We can go really anywhere. What's kind of on y'all's mind today? Well, I mean, I think the big story of 2022 is undoubtedly inflation. And, you know, no we've got, we have the June CPI number that was 9.1%. That's the highest in 41 years. That's certainly been, from my experience, David, you can chime in here, uh, top of most of our clients' minds when they ask us about the markets this year. I think that's important to call out the question the last couple months or really all year has been, when is inflation going to peak? Yeah. I think a lot of people thought it would be a couple months previous to now. That hasn't happened. I personally do see some signs, even this month already, with oil prices coming back down that will flow through to the CPI number eventually and could help bring inflation back down. Because CPI is lagging. I mean, it's a lagging indicator. So I think it's important people understand, even to your point, you may start seeing it now, you know, here in the next few weeks, you're filling up the truck cheaper or something's less expensive. So yeah, maybe that next number is a little better. That's exactly right. And like, you know, people see the headline number of inflation, then you know, there's a core inflation, which strips out more volatile components right, of inflation. Right. That number was lower at 5.9%, but still really uncomfortably high relative to where the Fed wants to see it. The thing that the Fed would really like to see not happen is people get used to this steady increase in prices, uh, what, what they call sticky inflation that just people come to expect. That's very bad for the economy. It can lead to some some very negative outcomes. So I think the Fed is clearly committed to yeah. fighting inflation above all else. Certainly, that's what Jerome Powell has said in his previous press conferences. And that could very easily lead to a slowing of the economy. The trick here is, can we slow it enough right. to bring down inflation without 
moving into a recession. David, you've been through a number of these in the past. What are you seeing right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like the firm's Art Cashin. Like at CNBC, they always roll him out when the markets are down because he's seen <laughs> a lot of stuff. I'm kind of full sales version of that. But really, Zach's right. When we're talking, everyone's talking about inflation. I've certainly never seen it happen exactly like this because I don't think we've ever had the kind of stimulus we've seen just come trillions from our government mm -hmm. flooding into the markets. You hear guys like Jamie Dimon going, hey, I look across all the checking accounts and the savings accounts in our firm, and I see a lot of money even though people aren't working. So I think there's some structural components to this thing that are going to be there for a while, like in rent. It's going to be real hard for rent to work out and come back down, the rents that have been elevated with this inflation. Right, right. But I'm with Zach. I'm starting to see it. I mean, not even in your lumber coming down, but you're also seeing it even in places where people don't think you're going to see it in food. A lot of yep. commodities are pulling back 20%, 30% from their highs. So I, I think we're going to see it a better number going forward. And I'll give a little anecdote. We met with a client who had just met with someone from our, uh, a competitor of ours, okay. yeah. who had stopped by trying to get their business and basically just tried to scare them to death. And boy, that feeds real well into what we're having going on right now, right? Yep. So we're another 40% down from here by year Ooh. end. And I said, you know, number one, he has zero idea if that's true. It's easy to say he's got a coin toss. I personally, if I had to make a bet, I would say we'd be closer to break even at year end. And I would have history on my side uh, without knowing. Right. So I think the biggest thing people need to know is what we live by here and we, we take our clients by the hands. When we're in a valley like this, our job isn't to sit down in the valley with them. It's to take them by the hand and get to the other side. And if discipline trumps conviction, it works. And I think that's what people will see by year end, especially when we get through the the clouds of the worst part of this. Yeah, agreed. Well, and I think it's important too to realize that we're not trying to be the opposite of that guy that was trying to scare him to death. We're not trying to paint some rosy picture. That's right. But something we've always talked about on here, the the probabilities and the odds of the market being positive are probably a little higher than the odds of the market being down another 40%. So again, I think our job is to present the evidence, look at history, because that's all we can do. And, and go from there. That's so. exactly right. I mean, bear markets feel like they last forever, but they don't. They don't. Bear markets will end and, and markets will go back up again. And even as we think about inflation, you know, I think it's helpful to think back. David, you alluded to some of the root causes, right? We had this massive stimulus, which increased demand for everything. Then you had the war in Ukraine, right. which crimped supply chains. Right. And then you've had for a very long time, this period of super easy money. So how do we get out of inflation? It, it seems pretty clear to me. We can fix supply chains, which supply chains will adjust whether the war ends or not. But if the war ends, that's one way supply chains could adjust. Demand will get destroyed when interest rates go up. So right. yep. look at what 30-year mortgage rates have done. They've more than doubled, right? So that's going to hurt demand. That's going to help the inflation thing. And then finally, the thing we don't want to see necess necessarily happen, but can also hurt inflation is a recession. And that's when right. just the general level of demand will decrease. So I see a lot of paths from here for inflation to come down. And in fact, I sent this out to the team this morning. But if you look forward at what the market expects, what bond traders expect inflation to do and interest rates to do, they expect the Fed to continue raising rates through this year peaking out at around 3.5% in early 2023. And then the market expects the Fed to start cutting rates, which tells you 
They expect a recession. They expect a slowdown uh, to the extent that the Fed can actually cut rates. So I've heard some commentators over the last four weeks say, well, well, the Fed has to get short-term rates above the inflation rate before inflation can come down. I don't think that's actually true if you look okay. at the evidence. Yeah, I, agree. I don't think we're going to have a 7 8% Fed funds rate. And certainly the market doesn't expect that right now. We've talked, I mean, at length uh, over this past year uh, on the podcast even about what the Fed can do and their predicament of how, you know, what they're trying to do. And, and it's a balancing act. Could we be in a recession right now? I mean, sure. I think that's something we get asked. Yeah, I, th I think it's possible. It's funny, you know, it depends. People have different definitions of recession. One classic definition is two quarters of negative right. GDP growth. The official uh, recession is called by the NBER, and they actually wait quite a long time to make that to call. Look yeah, back so it's always looking back. So that's why people say we don't really know until without the benefit of hindsight. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? I right. mean, we know, <laughs> that's right. We know markets that's have, right. have priced in a lot of economic pain already. The S&P, as we sit here today through about half the year, is down about 20%. Bonds are having their worst year in history. So like a lot of pain has been felt in economic markets, whether we're in a recession or not. I think, Tyler, one of your questions was, if we do have a recession, does that imply further downside for markets? Maybe, but remember- Not necessarily. Or not necessarily. That's markets right. are always pricing in mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of, of different market participants' expectations for the future. Yeah. And yeah. expectations have come down significantly to the point where we can argue about whether markets are cheap. Probably wouldn't say they're cheap, but they're much, much cheaper, more, much cheaper, <laughs> and much more attractively priced than well, they were six months. Well, one, one thing you and I, Zach, we've talked a lot about this is that I told you I'd never seen a recession in my career where there were 11 million job openings. Right. It's, that's it's if crazy. we if we're if we're in one, this will be one metric that's completely brand new. That's right. And and the unemployment rate in June kind of was directly to your fact. We we see unemployment be very, very low still, although we are starting to see jobless claims on a weekly basis right. start to increase, start to rise. all of which, again, is kind of what the Fed is wanting. They're wanting to slow the economy gradually, not all at not once. Not a big spike, right? We mentioned it already, S&P earnings, though. What's your read there? We've kind of, we, I know we talked about that at the beginning of the year, but you know we're seeing those earning multiples, again, be more favorably viewed, maybe? Exactly. So earnings are still going up on the S&P. We're in second quarter earnings season right now. Somewhere between 4 to 8% is probably what okay. we'll see in terms of an increase this quarter for the full year, maybe high single digits. So the net effect of that, right, is you have earnings going up and you have a market that's dropped 20%, which means that earnings multiples have dropped more than 20%, assuming you don't forecast some decline in earnings next year. So S&P right now is trading around 16 times okay. earnings. That's what I thought. 10-year average is about 17, so we're trading below the 10-year average. The five-year average is uh, closer to 18 and a half or 19 times. I was going to say, we were getting pretty frothy there. That's, that's right. <laughs> I mean, but again, you know, you take into account the fact that we had low interest rates, yeah. which can yeah. lead to higher earnings multiples. And, you know, I think there's fairly significant portion of the market that expects long-term interest rates will be lower than average and, and we're likely to go back there. I think that's probably right Okay. at some point. I don't think we end up at terminal 4 or 5% rates for Fed funds. I just, no. I don't think we do for a lot of reasons. And, and if that's the case, you know, the question becomes, okay, where does the market settle in in terms of an S&P 500 earnings multiple over the long term? 
Is it 18, 19, 20? If so, and you think we're getting back there, markets look pretty attractive right now. No doubt. Absolutely. And when you look at just what anecdotally, we, we you, you can look at the Fed and everyone goes, they're behind, they need to catch up. A lot of their rhetoric did, I think, quite frankly, did a lot of destruction in the economy and to the point that they, I thought they were very thrilled by it, Agreed. where they didn't have to move as much in the way of interest rates. So they just had to threaten. Yeah. And yeah. the market finally believed them. I think there's going to come a push to shove. There's just plenty of room for the work for them to still do, but there's going to come a push to shove where they have to decide, does this economy need to be pushed into recession to be healed from the structural, and Zach put it, very sticky inflation, especially on the wage side of it and on housing. I'm not going to bet that they, they're perfect and can do the soft landing. I think it's going to be a, a hard landing, but everyone survives. Yep. That's the kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. And with that, what I think people don't realize, with a time we're in right now, it's, it also brings opportunity for the long-term investor. When markets are just going straight up for 10 years, you, you take COVID out of the equation because we did that to ourselves or we had to do it to ourselves. Man, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, well and by the time you realized you had to pull back during the COVID shutdown, it was over. It was over. Yeah, it was just it was so quick. Thirty days. Yeah. Um yeah. I think sixteen would have been the last kind of sideways ish market. But to your point, yeah, I've had a lot of those conversations. Which one of the things I wanted to bring up with you guys is a positive outcome we've seen is in the bond market with va- with valuations. I think they'll you know, they're still getting hit. To, I think David, you said earlier, you know, the bond market's having its worst year ever, but you're seeing some return now. And we were talking about this earlier with a client who had money in a CD. And so at least now we're able to provide some return in the bond market. That's right. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, as, as interest rates rise, bond prices fall. So in the short run, as interest rates come up, you have that negative impact to prices and that makes you like we have this year, bond returns become negative. The flip side, as you're alluding to, Tyler, is over time, that means the income you're receiving from your bond portfolio, which at the end of the day, that's why we invest in bonds to produce income. That is going to go up. And so for the first time in a long time, we are seeing three, four, even 5% yields in some cases mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. you know maybe a, a lower investment grade corporate bond that's yeah. you know five to 10 years in duration. So that's a positive impact. I don't think anyone should be shocked by what's going on in the bond market this year. We had a 40-year bull market in bonds. And, you know, it's it's very tempting to want to time markets. And so you could have said at the end of last year, hey, markets, bond markets have gone up for so long. Yeah. Surely it's time. I would have said that in 2009 and 2010, right? So I think we said it for like a decade. And then we're going, (laughs) rates should go up, rates should go up. But we were saying it in the face of a Fed artificially manipulating rates, right? And I think that's what people so forgot over this past decade, you know, normal volatility. So for a guy like me, this year feels semi-normal in that normal volatility, you're you're down 5% three times a year, 10% once a year, down 20 about every six years, maybe even a little more than that. And yep. we haven't had yep. that because we've had a, an accommodative Fed and they're there to catch the market in any, any bobble. Well, now... We've got to make it with the Fed bringing a headwind to us. And I and our economy can do that. That's right. One thing I, I think is pretty interesting, when you look at the chart of the, the market over a 100-year period, we get so caught up on these, we're six months into this or we're seven months into this. When you look at 100 years, it's up and to the right. We don't see that changing, yeah. even with well, this. One more point I'll make, too. You know, 
the biggest loser from the last decade post global financial crisis 2008 2009 was the saver who stuck money in the bank so they wanted true. to earn something from a savings account and and they've just gotten clobbered <laughs> you are seeing mm-hmm. rates come up now on savings accounts and things like that still not to the inflation rate those people right. are still losing right. money in real terms but they're starting to actually enjoy some yield that to me is a positive thing yes the other thing that i think is positive on the complete opposite side of the risk spectrum and this is something that we've been monitoring and we have been fortunate to steer our clients away from things like cryptocurrency oh, Lord. nfts you're seeing now bankruptcies of some of those companies you're seeing a lot of the scams exposed mm-hmm. where people thought they'd figured out some perpetual motion machine that was right. always going to make money and that just economically is not a thing you know i feel bad for people who got burned by it but the fact that the froth was outside of publicly traded markets and in a uh, more esoteric market like crypto i think is actually a good thing that's a really good point yeah let let the froth cook out there well and that was one thing at the beginning of this year zach you you had to stand your ground for so many meetings where people were challenging you over bitcoin and and all of that nicely but you were standing your ground and I will tell you, now they're coming back and thanking us. We, hey, thank you for not letting me get in this stuff because this is a year where I don't know if there was a place to hide, I don't know where it was. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're in cash, you're down 9% with inflation. Yep. You're in bonds, you're the worst ball market, you're, in bond, you're down double digit. You're in stocks, you're down. This is a testament that the people who make the most money during these periods of time are people who really do the least. Yep. They stick to their discipline. It's the reason why long-term you don't have as, not everyone's rich, right? Because rich people usually have the ability to look out past an issue Mm -hmm. and see beyond it and go, how do I position myself to take advantage of this on the other side? And And that's what we're doing for our clients here now. But there are a lot of people who will look back at this time a year or two from now, I think, and go, man, I wish I'd have been more clear eyed. During that time. Uh, agreed. And I think one of the things people can and should do is mentally prepare themselves for the certainty that if you invest for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, as people should do if they want to generate wealth through investing, you are going to have many, many bear markets. Yes. It is just a fact. And yes. we've talked some on this podcast and probably more to our, our clients who qualify for things like alternative investments, whether it's private credit, private equity, private real estate. But the important thing to remember is pretty much anything you're going to invest in, unless you're shorting the market or whatever, is economically sensitive. So if you have a time where the economy slows down, almost everything's going to go down. They're not going to go down to the same degree or necessarily right at the same time. But you've got to prepare yourself when you're investing, you're taking risk, and you're going to have mark-to-market declines very frequently over your investing career if it lasts decades. That's okay. That's part of the game. Well, to your point, if you you take those, let's say, 40, 42 years, 45 years, you're going to have six or seven of these. That's right. That's just the way it is. And I I do think it's funny. I I was talking with a guy the other day with the alternative space. We're so quick to say, oh, no, that's a long-term, eight to 10 years. I'm not going to worry about it. And it's like, okay, but We'll do the same thing over <laughs> exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. Take the same approach and think in decades. Right. It'd be great. That's You'll be right. much happier. So, 
Okay, we, we've kind of gone over some of these stats, but I, I do think I do think they're interesting. I think one, Zach, you put it in our market update that we sent out, but the amount we're down today or the percentage that we're down today doesn't take us back to like 1945. Like I think people, <laughs> people feel like it has. We're back to what, March? March of last of year. Of last year. That's right. And, you know, March of last year, just imagine how, or I can remember how happy people were because- one year previous was March of 2020 when the whole world shut down. And yet the yep. market rallied and it continued to rally into 2021 and people were thrilled. Yeah, if someone had gone to sleep then and woken up today, they'd be about the same. And I don't think anyone would be too upset. But the fact that we went no. up much further and then fell 20%, that's, you know, there's this common behavioral finance error that people make. It's called anchoring. You look at the highest value your account's ever been. And if it's below that, you feel like you're down. We're all human, so we all deal with it. But the reality is you really should not anchor to one point in time. I feel like I'm taking a commercial break right now, but just FYI, we are lining up Dr. Daniel Crosby, I believe, with Orion. He's the chief behavioral officer for them. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy as a podcast. We're going to get him on, though. We're going to talk to exactly to what Zach just, just mentioned, which is the psychological side of investing that can really trip people up. So well, look, I think, be on the lookout for that. You know, I think times like this, the biggest mistakes investors make are behavioral in nature. And David, I yep. mean, I'm curious to learn from your experience. You've been through a lot of these. What are you seeing investors do this time around? What have you seen them do in the past? Is it similar? And how can investors avoid making those mistakes? So I don't know if it's age, but I will say this. I think our investors, and, and I'm going to speak particularly to our book, are far more educated. I agree. Really, over the past decade, than they they were with the investor I dealt with twenty years ago. Okay. Yeah. And I can tell you, and Zach and I can say the same thing. Most of our clients haven't even hardly called us right. through this time period. We're reaching out to them uh, because we have talked about the potential for this and how our discipline takes us for over a very long term approach. A lot of the phone calls we get are simply people wanting to. How do I take advantage of this? I may have some more money over here. What do I do here? But I tell people all the time. I, in fact, I had one say, you know, I told them, I said, I have no idea what the market's going to do. And they said, oh, surely you do. You have, a, <laughs> you have a feel for it. You've been doing this 33 years. You have a feel for it. I go, no, I mean, if you could show me how to game a human psychology on how it reacts to greed or fear, I could do it all day long right. because all these other really amazing metrics that you, you Zach and your team, they know cold. If we didn't have human psychology in there, you could tell us what the market was going to do right. every day. But the whole, the whole thing that we're dealing with. And right now, this time I haven't seen the retail investor freak out. Right. Like we normally do about this time in a bear market. That tells me they're a lot more educated than they have been, at least historically. I think that's absolutely right. And we already talked about earnings multiples a little bit, but um, when we had our guest from Vanguard on yeah. earlier this year, I remember talking about, you know, the market can trade very wide ranges in terms of earnings multiples. So 99 tech bubble, something like 30 times earnings on the S&P. Post global financial crisis, we were down to 10 or 11 times. That's a really wide range on the S&P right now. You're talking about 2,500 to what, 6,000, something like that. Just based on psychology, to your point, David. Now, we would feel very differently at 2500 or 6000 but both of those are within the realm of, of possibility just right. based on an earnings multiple. And we probably shouldn't make very different decisions most of the time, nope. regardless of either one, which is 
really hard, I think, for people to to wrap their heads around. Which is so funny. You say that at the end of 99, I'll never forget, I was on an elevator in a um, Class A office space building in um, in Dallas. And there was a lawyer on there talking to a friend of his on the phone. And he goes, look, I've just mortgaged my house. He'd, obviously, it sounded like he'd had it paid off. And I'm taking that money and going into the market because he'd seen <laughs> everything just moving up well in the tech bubble. And then I'm sure the guy probably lost his house the next year right. when, it, when it popped. So it, that feeds right into Fear what you're saying. Greed, just like you said. <laughs> Zach, you sent out an article earlier today um, that I thought was really, really interesting. It had a lot of really good points, but I read it and it spoke directly into how we invest yes. and are really your kind of whole philosophy for what we do here at Full Cell. And so I was going to read a couple of these points and let you comment because I think I think they're really interesting. Uh, the first one is we've already established no one knows when a bear market's going to end. So trying to time it or pull money out or put money in is impossible. It's a losing game. The other one I think is a good reminder of why we index. Yep. Um, so the stat they, they brought up going back to 99, like we were just talking about is at the end of 99, you had WorldCom and Enron, both among the largest U.S. companies, and then they disappear overnight. That's right. And so to put it in today's terms, it'd be like, uh, what they say, Home Depot or CVS just literally going away. Right. Overnight. Overnight. And so I just think, I think that speaks to our philosophy. So I think let's maybe take a little bit of time and kind of reinforce that or provide some color around those, yes. those comments. And and David knows, knows these stats as well, but over a long period of time, as David said, you look at a stock market chart and it's up and to the right. That is not necessarily true for any individual stock. Right. And I love the article today because it drew an important distinction between buying individual stocks and buying the stock market. Over 100 years, only about 4% of the stocks have been responsible for 100% of the stock market's gain. And that's, that's a really amazing stat if you really think about it. It really is. But it makes sense. If you went back to the 1950s and you looked at publicly traded stocks, a whole lot of those companies don't exist anymore. And we know today that a lot of the companies we're investing in 50 years from now, they may not exist. Sure. But we also know that the S&P 500 is going to change over time dynamically with the economy such that the best performing largest companies are the biggest components of the S&P 500. So lots of companies go out of business. The S&P 500 has never gone out of business. If you're buying today uh, with the market down, you can feel a whole lot of confidence based on history that the market's going to go up over time. You cannot say the same thing about any individual, individual. stock. And one of the uh, stocks called out by this article was Netflix. Uh, Netflix has been a tremendous performer. It's added uh, over a long period of time. It's added a ton of value to the S&P 500. It's had multiple 50%, 70% declines. It's down significantly again. 70%. We don't know. Maybe it never regains its all-time highs that it, it hit in the last few years. We don't know, right? But we do feel very confident that the S&P 500 will go on to make new highs because if you don't believe that, then you don't think the U.S. economy is going to grow over time. And that's just, you got a lot of history working against you if that's your bet. So true. Yeah. When you're saying all that, I always go, you know, the way we invest money now, and Zach, you go back to our previous podcast on how we even became a firm. Zach convinced me active management was just from an evidence standpoint was just, we were losing value for clients at, other, at another institution. 
And if we could invest it the way we're doing it now for our clients, we're going we're gonna to take out a lot of risk because we have zero individual stock risk. I never go to bed at night, even during, through this bear market. It's the first, I will say this is the first bear market <laughs> I've been through where I haven't gone, dear God, I hope this one stock doesn't go under because we've only owned about 20, right. 25 stock in the active management world. The way we do it now, it is a, you go to sleep going, hey, it, it, all, all we got to do is is make it to the other side of this valley. The only way we lose it is, is if we stop and we're not going to. The active management world has to either scare you significantly or they have to be lucky. Mm-hmm. Yep. The way we manage money feels more like fundamental investing. That feels more like gambling. And uh, yeah, I love the article you sent, Zach. Yep. Well, at the very end of the article, and we'll wrap up here, but it said, amid all the unknowns, one thing is clear. Again, this is the article. This is not Zach uh-huh. writing this. Investors are more likely to succeed when they invest regularly in low-cost funds that track the broad markets and ignore everything else. Again, well said. <laughs> again, we don't just you know buy one fund and ignore everything else. We do a lot. I know your team does a lot, and we're continuing to look at the you know different spaces and sectors and all that. But yep. good article. I thought it was great. As we wrap up, this podcast will be coming out during Fed Week. What are we? We've kind of hit on it. But what do you expect them to do? The market price that in? There's just so much data and, and information out there that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so right now the market is pricing in an expectation of at least a 75 basis point increase. As we talked today, there's about a one in three chance of a 100 basis point increase. We had some Fed chatter this week that certainly the the sense I get uh, from public statements from Fed Reserve Board members right. is that 75 basis points is, is the most likely outcome. That's what we got the last Fed meeting. So... That would put rates put us where? over two percent, about two and a quarter percent yeah. to two and a half percent would be, I think, the effective Fed funds range at that point. But there's more rate increases expected in subsequent Fed means as well. So again, the market's telling us right now they expect rates to go up to about three and a half percent by uh, early 2023. All, again, all subject to change. Oh, uh, sure. We, we like to talk about the things we were worried about in January of 2020 turned out to be very different than the things we're worried about two months later. So were we to get some unexpected event that could completely change the Fed's calculus? Yeah. But right now that's, we seem to be headed higher at least through early next year. Zach, David, anything you guys are seeing economically, we hit on it with the supply chain, but from the, you know, Ukraine and Russia, anything there? I think we're still getting a few questions about that. So I think the message I give to clients is markets work over time. And it, it can be frustrating and, and uncomfortable at any one point in time. People want quick solutions. But if you give the market time to work things out, it will. Capitalism works. Supply chains will adjust. Energy is a great example of that, even though we have some political meddling there. Yeah. Uh, high, the best cure for high prices is high prices because that means it's going to incentivize people to go look for oil and increase supply just like the best cure for low prices is low prices because people will stop producing and that will increase prices and Good reduce point. supply. Good point. I would just say, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Stick to your plan because every one of you, if you're invested in the markets and have an advisor, should have had a plan going into this. And it's great to revisit it, see if there's any tweaks that need to be made. Most of them should only be things that are done at the margin, not wholesale during times like this. If this is your first bear market, I think even people who have been in, invested for decades, this feels like their first bear market because 
We haven't had a real one in over a decade, at least one where it was by market forces. And we certainly haven't had one that just was prolonged. We don't know. We don't know how long this is going to last. It feels like it might be a little longer than anything we've experienced over the last decade or so. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We say disciplined. If we say diversified, history tells us we make money. Yeah. I would just say, don't lose heart. And don't, you probably don't look at your account every day. <laughs> well said. I know we're sitting here talking about the market, but I leave listeners with this. Turn off the TV. Turn off the news. Bad news is what drives their ratings. So they're going to continue to just pump out absolutely whatever they can to keep you keep that thing on. And so, again, I don't think any of us have sat here today and said that, again, everything's fantastic and nobody should be fearful but you should be confident in the markets and long-term and all that. So any final thoughts, gentlemen? I think we covered it. All right. I appreciate the time, guys, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital for this informational podcast. purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 